When you live to ticket before you kick it, it's pretty important that you power your adventure with the right nutrition. Not just when you decide to take on the biggest physical and mental challenge of your life, like I did retracing the 1928 Tour de France, but also as a part of everyday living. Working overtime on a double shift, running the kids all over town to their sporting events, adding a few extra miles to your weekly hike, or getting sleep deprived with a hectic travel schedule. I'm proud to announce Bucket Nutrition is now an official sponsor of our podcast and just for you, giving a 10% discount on all Bucket Nutritional products. Go to Amazon.com and use promo code Bucket10, that's Bucket with an IT, 10, for a 10% discount on Bucket Nutritional products. Great tasting, high performance nutrition to help you take it before you kick it. The Spider Wrangler, yes, I said Spider Wrangler, has placed a large suitcase full of big, hairy male tarantulas all over the terrified actor who's playing opposite Harrison Ford. The cameras are rolling on the set of Indiana Jones' Raiders of the Lost Ark, and the dramatic cave scene is underway. But director Steven Spielberg is not happy. The eight-legged extras are not moving as he thinks they should, and he thinks they look fake. So the Spider-Man comes to the rescue with a cunning plan. Release a female among them, and all hell will break loose. That's exactly what happened next, much to the horror of actor Alfred Molina. I knew I couldn't go back. Your you wife. just put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to just dug even deeper. Luck is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I could not. That was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Kogan. Every week, I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators, people who ditch the excuses swerve off the predictable road and epitomize what it means to ticket before you kick it. I think all you can do is when jobs get offered you, you say yes. My only criteria was to stay employed. Yeah. And that I learned from my parents. That's very typical of immigrants all over the world. It still is. You work, you work, and, and, and whatever comes up, you do it. Alfred Molina is a well-known actor from the UK. He's appeared in more than 50 film, television, and stage productions, including his famous role in Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Spider-Man 2, and the recent critically acclaimed independent film, St. Judy. Over the past 30 years, he's developed a reputation for an incredible ability to nail character-driven roles. He's able to transform himself into nearly every character imaginable. It doesn't seem to matter what nationality or accent. Alfred is game to try on anything for size. He's played a chronically unfaithful Mexican painter in Frida, a deranged drug dealer in Boogie Nights, as well as the comic book villain Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man 2. It's been said about this great character actor that he's great in just about everything, but he disappears so completely in the roles you forget where you've seen him before. There's something so familiar about his face and his voice that you just feel like you want to go up and say hi, like he's a friend. That's exactly how I felt when I met Alfred for the first time. And well, now it seems like we might be tea drinking buddies forever. We're having a cup of tea because... Yeah. Yes. Um, cheers, by the way. Nice cup of tea. Yeah, nice cup of tea. Um, we're having a cup of tea because when we met each other first, officially, we, we were at a movie premiere, a movie that I want to talk to you about. 
and um, and we got talking. And we we met unofficially at the remand home. I seem to remember. Yes, yes, unofficially. <laughs> <laughs> we got out of there, <laughs> and uh, and then we started talking about accents and everything, and we yeah, started right. just riffing off each other. But I reminded you. <clears throat> I didn't remind you, I told you that the first time I met you unofficially was on the Sony lot and you were Dr. Octopus and you were doing a scene in, in the lab. This, uh -huh. And, and uh, I saw you there and of course we didn't disturb you or anything, you were doing your thing. But I remember there was this one scene and um, it, you were having to do it a number of times and it was, it was quite a, just knowing what it's like to make things. I. I, it was such an insightful thing to see you do this, this one take over and over yeah, and over. Yeah, and I don't yeah. think it was any dialogue. It was just you Maybe doing not, something. Yeah. There was a lot. There was a lot of stuff like that. A lot yeah. of that kind of you know, pseudoscience, you know, sort of hitting buttons and sort of waiting for. And you look yeah. so ominous. But I remember thinking, God, this guy really does transform himself. You are you're like the consummate transforming actor. I mean, you just have oh, you have you. evolved. I mean, of course, Doctor Octopus. I mean, he really did transform on screen, but <laughs> you've had a whole career of that. And and then you, you've just taken on this this new role uh, in this film. In St. Judy. St. Judy. And what a powerful film, independent film mm -hmm. uh, about something that's very poignant right now, something that's in the zeitgeist uh, with immigration. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a true story <clears throat> uh, based on the, uh, the life of... Uh, or the professional life of Judy Wood, who was uh, an immigration lawyer. Uh, and she came to uh, California, to Los Angeles, to, to start her own practice. Yeah. And realized very very quickly that there was a huge demand for her work, for her services. There was a, a whole culture of people who needed help to, to, to navigate the, uh, you know, the, the legal, sort of, you know, the legal obstacles, you know, uh, to, you know when, when you're an immigrant in this yeah. country. And as you say, it is absolutely timely. I mean, you know, we talk about the immigration crisis and so on, and that crisis really is happening. But it's people like Judy Wood who uh, who are, in a way, kind of shining lights in in the darkness. You know, she's her, her work has been really phenomenal, and uh, she continues to do it. And so, when the idea of of making a movie about her and about her work came up. It felt like a no-brainer, really, because uh, particularly because of the timing. Um, you know, uh, this is a story that's happening now. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, the uh, every day we're seeing something we're about seeing, this, we're, and every day we're seeing and hearing a new obscenity at the border. You know, and it, and it's it's uh, it's really quite shocking. And and the irony, of course, is that she's she's working in an area of law where one would hope there'd be less of a demand for her services. Right. But because as it happens, huge it's demand. becoming, there's, the demand is becoming bigger and bigger. And it, it's interesting, too, how quickly people have forgotten that we're all essentially immigrants, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You I mean, certainly, I you certainly and I, am, I'm, yeah. I'm a New Zealander, you're an Englishman. Absolutely. But, you know, the, the advantage we have is that we're white. Yes. And so uh, we, we don't, uh, you know, we, we don't come under the same kind of scrutiny. Um, and I, which I think is a shame because, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it shows up a a disparity in the system that isn't really fair but it's but there's a reason why everyone wants to come here yeah and uh and it and it is a land of opportunity and it still is that great experiment even though it's happened very much at the cost of people's liberty and people's freedom but it it's 
I'll, I think it, fundamentally it's still a country that welcomes people. You know? Yeah, just the idea that we, we won't allow people to come, it, 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 it speaks directly against why you and I came here, right? I mean, because it is a land of opportunity, but to sort of be selective about people and, and people coming here for the mm. same reasons we came yeah. here, it, yeah. it, it's, it's very sad. Yeah, and that, you know, and, and all of that kind of get, gets touched on in the movie, yeah. um, although really the, the focus really is the work that uh, Judy does on two specific cases. Um, and uh, they're, they're cases that involve not just the right of someone to to come to the states, but also um, definitions of you know what 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 qualifies as a political uh, asylum oh, seeker. Yeah. You know what what qualifies as someone who's 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 merely a, an economic migrant, and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Um, and all of that is kind of you know for a country that is built by you know built by immigrants. Uh, you said just the nature of deciding to step from your country to another country, looking for freedom, a chance to get educated, a chance to live a life that's not hampered by oppression. The very fact that that decision suddenly can become something that threatens your life. This is what is at the heart of the movie. Did I really say that? Yeah, and it's so oh, I'm, I'm rather pleased with myself. You, that sounds rather intelligent. You, Are you sure you, that was me? Yeah. It sounds a bit too bright for me, but well, I, I totally concur. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I totally agree with that. You agree with yourself. I am agreeing with myself. You absolutely yeah. agree with yourself. <laughs> so the film, we saw it, we were lucky enough to see it in a, in a theater and it did a theatrical run. Uh, for people who want to see it, where can they go to see it? Well, it'll be streaming. Uh, I mean, and I think also there's going to be uh, very soon a, a DVD release. Um, so it's going to be available, you know, readily available. Can you imagine when you first came to America, you'd ever be saying, well, my movie is going to be streaming. I know. I, mean, I know. What the hell? I'm, I'm still learning. I'm yeah. still, I'm, there's a whole new language I'm still learning. I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I've got grandchildren in their teens, in their mid-teens. You don't look and, old uh, Well, you're very kind. Yeah. Um, but and I, I don't understand them half the time, you know, when they're talking about because the, the, what's available to them, yes, in terms of education, distraction, entertainment, diversion, all the things that they've got in their lives to kind of keep them occupied. So much of it is so tied into the internet and and social media and so on. There's a whole there's a whole language that has evolved, you yeah. know, necessarily. But, but this is why we it's have... It's really hard to keep up. Uh, I've heard people speak about the idea that, you know, when, when we were young, there was this idea that you could actually get bored, right? That you could, yeah, you could yeah, actually stop yeah. to a point where you'd be thinking, yeah. well, what am I going to do? Yeah. Now there's no such thing. Yeah. My, when I, I remember when I, when I was a kid, when I used to say things like, I'm bored. Right. I remember my mother saying things like... Get outside? No, she'd say things like, only boring people get bored. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not bored, I, uh, really. I mean. But it was, yeah, but I, you know, I was the kind of classic, you know, latchkey kid. I mean, I, you know, my, both my parents worked. So, you know, I had, a, I had my door key around my neck on a, on a, on a chain. And, and I was, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd come home, I'd let myself in, I'd make myself some... Very some, independent. Some, yeah, but, but, you, but, but, you, but, but, but we had to. But also, it wasn't... I don't remember either being praised for it or being chastised it for it. It was just what or, you had to or, do. Or having to learn how to do it. It was just something you did. Mm -hmm. You just kind of, you know... It's part of, of life. It was, it was like, come home, do your homework, make yourself a sandwich and wait till I get there. Right. And your you parents, uh, I mean, you, you, I, what I, one of the things that I've loved about 
you talking about your backgrounds, you've totally owned it. I mean, you, 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 you talk proudly about your background. You're an immigrant. Your parents both came to England yeah, as immigrants. Yeah, my father was uh, Spanish. My mother was Italian. Um, my dad was a refugee from the Spanish Civil War, uh, and he arrived in England via the refugee trail through France. And he arrived in, in the UK just in time for the outbreak of World War II. He couldn't go back to Spain, so he, along with a lot of other men from all over Europe who were disenfranchised and dispossessed, most of them running away from fascism, you know, from Germany yeah. and Italy and Spain. And they formed uh, what was under the British Ar under the auspices of the British Army was the Pioneer Corps, and the Pioneer Corps was basically servicemen who weren't who who didn't have English as a first language. So they were trained into in, they were trained as radio operators, they were trained as uh, navigators and so on. You know, stuff that they could do without language, that stuff they could see, and my dad, my dad very proudly but they weren't frontline troops my dad very proudly used to say things like yes i was uh, i was on the beach at d-day i was there oh yes but and he was but what he what, what he would often forget to mention was that he was he arrived like a couple of days afterwards because oh. the pioneer corps they were the guys cleaning up all the shit oh my god you know, all the dead bodies on the thing you know they, they were cleaning they were cleaning up all the garbage you know, uh, all the, you know, just... Stuff that was left behind. Yeah, yeah, sort of ordnance and, and I, I guess, I guess, you know, burying, you know, burying dead soldiers, you know, and, and all that. And and it was uh, so, but he was, but he went through that. So he had something like 10 years of being basically at war. And my mother arrived in England from Italy in 1948 and she got a job in a restaurant, she got a job in a hotel cleaning rooms. She was a chambermaid, and my dad, at that time, was working as a waiter in the hotel restaurant downstairs. And, yeah, and that's yeah. how they met. That's where they met. Well, and you slip into accents so quickly. I presume, growing up with parents with different accents, yeah. you, you, I mean, you are known. I just, yeah, I just kind of had. Well, I, I think I just had an ear for it somehow. I mean, and it wasn't anything. It wasn't anything that I practiced or trained for it was just, I think I was just lucky you just that, soaked it up yeah I guess and, I, and and you know I also grew up in a in a neighborhood in London that was nothing but sons and daughters of immigrant families you know we had uh, Caribbean families Irish uh, Italian Portuguese and there was a huge mix of lots and you know it was a big big sort of immigrant neighborhood see both my parents they they finished their education around about the age of 15, 16. Yeah. And, like but, so many working class of course, people yeah. of that era. But they, they both had a real innate skill for language. Hmm. Both of them could read, write, and speak fluently in each other's language and in French and English. I learned Spanish and Italian from them, but I never learned French because French was the language they, re they, they would translate everything in mm -hmm. Spanish or Italian. But they wouldn't translate the French because that because we lived in two rooms, hmm. and they I think they needed the French for privacy, so they never they never taught uh, me. Ah, that was their private language. Yeah, they never taught me French. Well, they do say that f French is the language of love too, right? Yeah, but the Italians say that about Italian. Yeah, that's true. And the Spanish say that about Spanish. Yeah, they're all wrong. Yeah, they're all. <laughs> what is the language of love? Uh, New English as it's spoken in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs>
Where, where they where, have a lot of sucks. Yeah, sucks. They have a lot of sucks. Um, you, you mentioned in your neighborhood when you were a kid, you were exposed to all these yeah. different accents. Like, and not only that, but not just the accents of the parents of friends right. and schoolmates, but also the amount of American TV that was on right. in those days. The Dick Van Dyke show and... and Mary and Tyler Moore. And Mary Tyler those. Moore. We got, we got all the big Western shows. Yeah. So we learned, we, we, we were kind of constantly soaking up these accents I remember in this playing in the street and we'd we'd do it with American accents because we were kind of mimicking what we'd seen on TV you know you got me copper head him <laughs> off at the pass you know all that kind of stuff you know there's a new sheriff in town all that you know and there's, there's all kind of stuff that we got off the television and, but you, you just know? soaked it all up and and, yeah. and who knew then or maybe you did know that you were going to do something with all of that. Well, maybe it was all maybe it was all feeding some unrecognized. I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's fun to speculate, but I, I certainly the idea, the idea of becoming an actor. Well, I'm not sure exactly when I first, when it first manifested, but, but I do remember. This is why I think I give the story credence. I do remember going to the pictures with some mates going to the pictures which yeah. is such an english thing to yeah. say and so we'd all chip in for one ticket and oh. the one kid would buy a ticket go in and then we'd all sneak around the back and he would open a side door and we'd sneak no. in and then the and ro just rotate uh, yeah just and just rotate it we'd all chip like say so say uh say a, one ticket was like nine pence we'd all chip in a couple of p and you know and make it up and then somebody buy and then we'd keep, we'd, we didn't always get away with it but sometimes we did and what did, were you like the class clown yeah very much so and and i was also i, I was very gangly i mean i'm six foot three yeah i was gonna I was, say you were gangly but, but I, I was like i was six foot and skinny by the time i was 13 14. right so yeah. i was very i was head and shoulders above my schoolmates so i got a lot of tease I, I got teased a lot for that got bullied a little sky bit sky tower that. and all that sort all of that things. yeah and, and you know sort of uh people jumping up to kind of punch me in the face and all that you know just schoolboy stuff but as a defense as a kind of great way of getting out of that was always to be funny to kind yeah. of make jokes and do accents yeah were, accents i used to i would go off on these little riffs you know as if i was my mum or as if I was my dad I'd go off in these riffs and I'd start making jokes you know or, and sort of or I'd say things I'd, I used to do I used to kind of do impersonations of all our teachers stuff like that Were so you? so but I wasn't I don't think I was becoming an actor I think what I was was a tremendous show-off I think I was just a great show-off I just loved doing it I loved showing off and to the point where Years, years, years later, one of the most important people in my life was a man called Martin Corbett, who was my English master at school. And he was the first person in my life who took me seriously when I said, you want to be I, an actor. I, I really want to be an actor. And he gave me a lot of help. He gave me book li you know, lists of books to read, plays to read, movies to see. He was very, very influential and helpful. And but he did say at one point he said look I'll, I'll help you but the minute you drop the ball the minute I don't see you being serious about this I'm washing my hands of you which was kind of a bit of a shock when you're like you know 12 years old but he meant it and, and he, he and we stayed friends and until he passed away but he was he lived long enough to see me do a, my first big leading role on Broadway and he came to Broadway to see the play and uh 
he just happened to be there the same night that I had another friend, also from the UK, in the, sh in, in the audience. So the three of us went to dinner after the show. And uh, I was, you know, keen to know what he thought. And, and, and he was saying how much he enjoyed it. And he was, you know, he said, I love you. You were marvelous. I loved you. you know, he was very, very sweet. And my friend, Andy, said, so, Martin, was, uh, was, Fred, uh, was Fred a good actor when he was at school? And without missing a beat, Martin went, oh, no, he was dreadful. <laughs> dreadful. It was a, but he was a terrific show-off. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, yeah. Uh, how cool that you remembered him and, and that he was able to experience oh, yeah. that as a that master. Meant a lot, that meant a lot to me. And it, it, was, it meant a lot to me that he, that, he, uh, that he got to see some of that. I love this quote you said about your career. You said, I've always looked for something that is is different and diametrically opposed to what I did the last time. So you're always trying to find that different. Yeah. You're not looking for the uh, the remake, so to speak. I try to make each job as different as I can from the last one. And that's really your only criteria. Yeah. And you pay a price for that in certain ways because that level of variety tends to mean that you're always a second or third lead. Um, and And, you know, when I mentioned to people that I was interviewing you, everybody, connected with the name and then they went ah oh, and you could see their brains going and then they realized oh my god the different roles i mean mm. the, the diversity in the roles the accents that you I'm, I'm not sure if there's an actor who's spoken more accents on film than you there, there used to be this joke you know years ago when people used to talk about the accents i used to say yeah i give good foreign <laughs> you know and, I, and I, i've done a whole range of accents uh, some of them have come naturally others i've had to work on Give give us some that that uh, or tell us about the ones that came easily and then some that you've well, had. Well, I think really the ones that on. came. E I mean, it, when, whenever I've played Italian or Spanish characters, that came easily because basically I was I was doing variations on my mother or my dad. I, I did a movie where I had to uh, I, I had to have a Russian accent. Yes. Now, I can do a kind of pretty basic generalized Russian accent. You know, you can kind of go, but it wouldn't tell you anything about what part of Russia or whatever. So I had to do a little bit of work on that. I did some work, you know, various things like that. Um, ac you know, accent work on, on uh, I played um, I played an Afghan warlord in a movie a few years ago. I, did, I had to do some work on that. So there's, there's all, it's, it doesn't, it's not like it's a thing that just, it's not like a right. bag I can just open You've up. Got You've, You've got to own it. You've got to own it. You've got to kind of do some work. And also it's important to, to, to be as, I think it's just disrespectful, right? If you're not as accurate as, as, you, as, as accurate as you can be. Yeah, I mean, because we've seen some pretty shocking accents on film. From uh, we don't need to mention the actors, but you can tell when somebody really just hasn't yeah gone yeah. there, and it is disrespectful. Yeah, right? and, and and I've always because you know I I remember once being asked about I remember saying to a, a I think I was doing I can't remember what the job was now, but I remember the moment, and I asked one of the other actors. I said, does, does, does the accent sound okay? And he said, yeah, no one's gonna notice. No one's gonna notice. And I said, well, well, I'll notice. Yeah. I said, because if someone was doing my accent with that kind of mm -hmm. lazy attitude, I'd be pissed off. Yeah. And also it's important to be honest about what you can't do. The New Zealand accent's a perfect example. Uh, I went to work in New Zealand years ago on a, on a series and the first thing I said to, to the producers, I said, I, 
can I can this character be British or American? Uh, it, it was written as a New Zealand. I said because I really can't do that accent. I've tried. It's really really hard for me, and I don't I don't want it to suddenly become that it's all about yeah. the performance is all about the accent. Right. And he was very cool. He said, "Yeah, you can play it British. That's no no problem." So that's what we did. Um, and I and I think it's important as well to be to be honest about that kind of thing because uh, you know you're creating a character that is basically carrying a whole culture yep. in a sense and you don't want to be you know it's just it's important. misrepresenting yeah it's important to be authentic but the thing is accent work you can work on it you know you can you can train you can practice I'll find people who have that accent and, mm. and maybe get them to read my dialogue mm. and record it you know, just so, just that's, to kind of get a, a sense idea. of, because also what's involved as well isn't so much the sound you make, but it's also the rhythm of the accent. Yeah. You know, there, there are there are little, you know, where the stresses are. Yeah. You know, the little those, nuances in between. Yeah, and those change. You know, I mean, I I, I did a, I was working with a, a, an actor who his character mentions that he comes from, uh, Piedmont, northern Italy. And I said, well, I, and he said- You then, have yeah. a connection there. <laughs> yeah, and I said, well, so he, he was talking about it. And I told him this story about how in Turin, when when the Turinese, when they're talking in their dialect, there's a sound which they make, which is ne, which is like a, it's a word, but it's it's used as a kind of punctuation. So when somebody would say goodbye, they'd say ciao ne. I see. All right, you know, um, and, and I mentioned this, and he went, oh, I'll use that. And he used it. And it just kind of gave him that little bit of authenticity to it. That's kind of, you know, the sort of, you know, so that, that sort of thing is kind of useful. Some of the roles, some of the parts that you've, you've played, I, I wanted to talk about some of those just because I know people are, they're looking at you, they're hearing your voice and they're thinking, ah, oh, I, I, I know him from this, this movie I know. and. So I just wanted to make, mention a few of them. The unfaithful Mexican painter Diego Riviera from Frida, a close-minded, fretful French mayor in Chocolat, uh, the deranged drug dealer in Boogie Nights. Oh, my God. Um, the, uh, you, you mentioned before, oh, the, the film uh, Not Without My Daughter. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, the Cuban immigrant family that had to find its way in, in Florida. Um, of course, and then the, the Greek American attorney in before and after. So you mentioned that you're always looking for something new and different. How do these roles come to you? Do you go well, looking? Do no, you I, well, I've been, I've, you know, touch wood, I, I've been very fortunate that, you know, roles have, have been offered. You know, I, I, I've auditioned, you know, I've done my fair share of auditioning, yeah. and interviewing, obviously, and, and uh, like for, for Spider-Man 2, I had to do a screen test, you know. Um, in fact, we all did. I mean, all, all the four actors that were that were being considered for that part were all actors who'd had a bit of a splash the year before. Um, you know, the, I think it was me, Chris Cooper, I think maybe uh, Chris Walken and oh, one other actor. Actors. We, you know, we were all kind of like in the mix. And uh, so, you know, and that's part of the course you know that's you know there's no um, do you get nervous uh, I used to I used to when I was much younger but now now I kind of I've come to terms with the fact that this is what you get you know you either 
you know, the, the casting director or the director either wants this or, he or, or something else. Or they don't, yeah. You know? And so now, I mean, I, you know, when I was younger, I would slavishly lose weight, put on weight. You know, they'd say, oh, we love you. We think you're fantastic. Could you lose 25 pounds? I go, yeah, okay. This was me, yeah. 25 pounds yeah, ago. Yeah. But I don't do that now. I mean, if I mean, the last time somebody asked me, they said, they said, you know, we'd love you for this part, you know, but could you lose 20 pounds? And I said, no, no, <laughs> no. I, I think you probably need a thinner actor. <laughs> yes. you know. Just go find him. I'm too old, too old. Someone said, oh, that's confident. And someone else said, that's just fucking lazy. <laughs> what would you... It's, it's a, bit, a bit of both, I think. What would you have said to, the, to your younger self when you first came up, when you got that break in Indiana Jones? What would you have... What, from now? Yeah, like what, if you were going to talk the older to self? Yeah, what would you say to... You? Uh, don't, sweat the, don't sweat the small stuff. Really? Don't, yeah. I, I, I think all you can do is when jobs get offered you, you say yes. Yeah. And that's all I did. I just, my only criteria was, and I think I've said this before in interviews, my only criteria was to stay employed. Yeah. And that I learned from my parents. You know, that's, that's definitely. You like to work. The legacy. Yeah. Because my parents worked. My parents worked six, seven days a week. They worked. They, they lived paycheck to paycheck. They, 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 that was their, that was their life. They worked. And that's very typical of immigrants all over the world. It still is. You work, you work. And, and and whatever comes up, you do it. And and that was, you know, I remember I, I, I was, I think we were saying this off camera earlier on, you know, my, my both my my dad would, you know, he'd be talking to someone and he'd say, so what do you do? And you'd say, well, I do this. Go, ah, how much money are you making? <laughs> and he wasn't being rude. Right. He wasn't like being- It was he, like, is, what's the, what are you getting yeah, for your work? Yeah, what is that work worth? You know, and and, uh, and, and it was never a judgment on someone else. He was just kind of, you know, and I remember years later, I had a job, I was, I was at, I, I think I'd been out of college about a year. I'd done a couple of jobs here and there, nothing much. And my dad got me a gig at the restaurant where he was working. Uh, he was the bartender by this point, and he got me a job as a, as a waiter in this restaurant. And at one point, the manager of the restaurant offered me a chance to go on a two-week paid course to train as an assistant manager. Now, if your desire, if your ambition was to be in the hotel, the restaurant business, that would have been a great opportunity. You'd be stupid to turn that down. But I turned it down because I didn't want to be a waiter. Right. I didn't want to be an assistant manager. I was an actor. So I turned it down. My father found out about it because the managers told him and my father and I turned it down because I'd just been offered a gig to do a tour of a children's play and they were going to pay me what was then the union basic which in those days was something like 17 pounds a week so my father corners me one night after I'd finished my shift and he said and he says so this uh this acting job, how much do they pay you? I said, uh, well, it's union basic, it's 17 a week. How much are you making here? And I said, well, with tips, about 35, 40. <laughs> and he looked at me. <laughs> I've never forgotten it. Wow. He kind of, that, that look that you save for the lost and the mad yeah that mix of 
a little bit of disdain and a lot of despair, a lot of kind of like, I can't understand you. I don't, I don't, I don't, he couldn't, he couldn't, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting a bit. No, because I felt clipped about it, but he could, he just couldn't understand it. He couldn't understand it. And it was one of the few times when I really saw that I just, he, he just didn't get it. He didn't get it. And it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault. Well, it was, it was because of his upbringing, yeah, where of he course, was from, and, and all the shit. And he wanted the best for you. That yeah. was why he yeah. was all the crap. Reacting. All the all the crap he went through. He was wanting the better life for you, yeah. and he felt like he wanted you. I to think he felt. I think he felt that uh, me doing that was somehow him failing hmm. in some way. He was living through. Yeah, you. and so he, he. So he always had. Uh, I apologize for. Getting I don't think you upset. should apologize. I, I think it's wonderful that you that you remember that moment and that you remember him that way. And it yeah. says a lot about how much you respected his work ethic. I did, and I, I still do. And and, and it was, uh, but it, it was just very, you know. But he then he then saw some stuff. He then, but I got to say, I got to say a wonderful story about my dad. To mitigate anything, he. He came to see me do a play where I had to drag up in the second half of the play. It was a play about a gang of, you know, a, a, a bank robbers. And my job in the gang was to create a diversion. So I dress up as a woman to look like a hooker on the street. <laughs> so we did I'm the I'm trying full, to imagine your dad yeah. thinking. <laughs> well, we did, we, did the, we did the full thing. I had the makeup and the dress and the hair. And my dad came to see the show, and afterwards he said, Alfredo, it was incredible. When you dress up as a woman, you look just like your mother. <laughs> That's a but compliment. It, but, yeah, but the best bit was, I kind of, that made me laugh. So as a joke, I said something like, did you think I look sexy? <laughs> and then he goes, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> uh, uh, that work ethic, it, it's, it's amazing how, you know, the things you learn from your, from your parents, how they stick with you. Oh yeah. And, and, yeah. and sometimes if you, in life, if you slack off, you hear yeah. them in the back of your head. Well, I still do it. Uh, and I don't know if I should admit to this, but every time I get a job and I'm told what the fee will, will be, yes, I work out how much that is per week. Yeah. Yep. I still think in terms of a weekly wage. Yeah. And I kind of go, well, I'm getting that much for three weeks' work. That's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think in terms of well, it might be the only job I'll do for the next six months, or Which it might, says, you know, it, this, this this is the only job I'm going to do between now and Christmas or whatever it is. I don't think in those. I don't think long term. I just right. kind of go, oh, wow, so and so for three. That's great. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Better that, than that waiting job. <laughs> Better than the standard acting oh, wage I was getting. But my dad, my dad saw uh, when I did, uh, I did a movie for Stephen Frears called Prick Up Your Ears. Yeah. Uh, it was like my first proper lead in a, in a movie, mid 80s. And the film was chosen to be the inaugural movie for the Barcelona Film Festival that year. Huge honor, yeah. Oh, it was a huge, it was, it was a huge deal. We all flew to Barcelona, we were there for like three days, it was great. We had a fantastic time. 
and my father was being interviewed by some local TV station, you know, asking about about you, yeah, how you felt when your sons in this movie, didn't it? Didn't it? Yeah. and uh, he's playing a, a gay murderer, you know. All this, you know so it's all, yeah, it was a bit of a the, the, the movie. You know, it's it's hard to imagine now, but the movie back in the mid eighties was a bit of a envelope pusher, you know. And uh, that was the time when that's when my dad. You know, we finally got together at the one point, and you know, and we were having a drink, and and we were sitting at a table on just the two of us, and uh, and he said, "So, now I suppose now you can buy me that Jaguar." <laughs> <laughs> That's what. Were you ever able to buy him a car? Nah, nah. Oh. Never quite made enough money to buy him a Jaguar. Do you also believe in this whole idea of clocking up the hours? Like, yeah, you, you I'm know, a great believer. Yeah, the whole ten thousand hours. Stuff, yeah, yeah, I totally believe that. I totally believe that. Think I think of the hours that you've spent performing yeah. in your career. Yeah, and I don't. I, and 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 that's that fills me with pride. You know, I'm I'm, I'm proud of that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Um, you like hard work. I mean, you're yeah. not scared of it. Not not at all. Not at all. Were you scared yeah. of the spiders though when you? Were, <laughs> I was yeah. a little bit. Can little you bit tell nervous. me that story? Because the, wasn't there a story where you were, you were you were walking into the? To, oh to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. The well, it's, it's, it's it starts it starts off it starts off uh, at the audition. I went to the I went to audition for Raiders. I met Steven Spielberg. I was very nervous. Well, who wouldn't be? We we got on very well. You know, we see. You know, he was he was sort of saying how you know this sounds this, this might work out. I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to it. You know, great. We'll, we'll you'll be hearing from us. You know, shake hand, shaking hands all round. You know, it was all very very nice. As I'm leaving the suite where he was at conducting all his interviews, as I get to the door, he says, "Oh, Alfred, I uh, forgot to ask. Uh, you don't have a thing about spiders, right?" And I went, uh, no. <laughs> and I thought he meant those little daddy long legs, those things that crawl yeah. up out of the bath in the summer, you know, yeah. the, little, the little spiders. Which are most fight. of the spiders that we see. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, and I just kind of went, no. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and then a week later, I get the call that I'm, I've got the job, so I've got to go, got to go have the plaster cast made of my thing. And, and then someone says, have you met... I can't remember exactly the sequence now, but someone said, have you met the spider guy? <laughs> and I went, no, oh, you will, you're, don't worry, you'll meet. So on my first day, the, the scene with the spiders, yes. that was my first day. That we, we shot that on my first day. That was, was this my the first, first time shot. film had rolled on you? Yeah, yeah. So I arrive at the studio and they're doing, they're doing something else and I'm in, I'm in costume, I'm ready. And I see this guy. <laughs> walking down the corridor carrying two suitcases that are made out of perspex you know see-through and each suitcase has these little <laughs> compartment about eight compartments in each suitcase and each compartment because you can see you can see right through it each compartment had a little tuft of straw you know i didn't think twice about it you know morning <laughs> you know he walks past <laughs> so i then get on set we're doing the spider stop now, the spider scene now, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's talking, everyone's buzzing. I'm kind of like, you know, kind of excited, you know, not really think. And then I see that guy with the spider, with the, <laughs> with, spider the with, with, with the suitcase. And, I'm, and then he then undoes one of the suitcases and takes out this, um, this little compartment, takes off the straw, and there's this great big tarantula <laughs> in this thing. And I suddenly went, Oh, <laughs> those are the 
<laughs> they meant those spiders. And so then he starts, I'm in position, and he starts putting them on me one by one. And they're completely still. They're not moving around. They're just completely still. And I'm just sitting there, like, standing there. And eventually the scene, the shot, is basically me just reacting to the spiders. And I'm supposed to go oh, like this, you know, looking like I'm scared. So I start acting, and Stephen goes, they're not... They're not moving. They, 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 look, they look fake. They're not moving. So <laughs> the camera guy's got his little air thing. You know, what, what are they call yeah, those? Yeah, the dust the, off. Yeah, little dust. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like squirting these. And all they're doing is they're not moving. They're just falling off. You know, he's like, <laughs> he's they, blowing the spiders <laughs> Trying to make them move. And so the guy, the, the wrangler. Yeah, the spider wrangler. The spider, the spider guy says, uh, well, they'll only move. If I put a female amongst them, they'll, 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 they'll start to move. So he goes to the other suitcase and pulls out, you know, he then puts this other spider <laughs> there and they go fucking apeshit. They're like running all up the face, on the back, like this. And I'm like, you know, roll it. You know, uh, and so and, and Steve is going, look scared, Alfred, look scared. I'm not fucking scared, I'm scared. <laughs> and one of them even crawled up here and kind of like, you know, and I, oh. Never forgotten it. Never forgotten it. <laughs> but but yet you called that a gift from God. Yeah. <laughs> you said that that whole experience. The, the I'll whole... tell you why, Phil. I'll tell you why that was a gift from God. Uh, I'll tell you why. I was working in the theater earning, I don't know, next to nothing. Well, at one point, 17 pounds a yeah. week. <laughs> My then partner was pregnant with our daughter. Oh. We were broke. And that movie... I was earning like 80 quid, you know, this is like mid, early 1980, I was earning maybe about 40 pounds a week in the theater, which was, you know, not, not great money, but it was doable. Not much more than you were earning as a waiter, by the way, yeah, with the not tips. Much, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and also uh, my partner was, was working. She worked almost right up until, you know, she delivered. That movie, paid me a thousand pounds a week for two weeks it was like that was a gift from god and and whenever you see Stephen, i, I understand you always say hey, I always, by the way yeah man. i always I've, I've thanked him privately i've thanked him publicly and i always thank him for that because it changed my life it changed my life he gave me he gave me my career in film he gave me the best calling card any young actor could and have how old were you again 24 Five, twenty-six. You know, I'd walk into interviews and they'd say, "So, what film experience have you had?" Well, I've just done Raiders of the Lost yeah, Ark. And I was, was working like, with Steven know, Spielberg. Yeah, exactly. Here. And that kind of it opened. It, it it opened. It started the conversation. Yeah. It didn't always. Did, I'm not. I'm not saying that it landed me the job every time, but it, it got the conversation going. So I've always thought, and, and also it meant that we we were able to have our daughter in a modicum of comfort. Oh, I'd love you that. You know, and that's that's you know he saved my bacon. He really did. You you say to anybody, remember that scene? Throw me the idol, and I'll yeah, turn the, yeah. and, and people just immediately they remember. Yeah, and I've never had a problem with that. You know, people come up to me still, and you know, men my age. Yeah, say they saw the film when they were young. They've shown it to their kids. They're now showing it to their grandkids. You know, and and I've got no problem with that. So I, I mentioned the film uh, Saint Judy that you're you were recently in. Um, and, and there's some other projects that you're working on right now that sound really interesting, working with some 
uh, with some great people, including Hugh Jackman. You got a, you did a film with Hugh Jackman. Uh, yeah, uh, that was uh, last year. We did a, did a movie called Front Runner. Yeah. Um, that Hugh played the lead in. He um, and uh, he was wonderful. And that we had a, that was a lovely. That was the uh, I got um, I got the chance to work with some very very good directors and actors over the last two or three years you know my, my passion's in storytelling and, yes. you know and, and great stories and um i'm we're, I'm, we're setting up uh, the same uh, production company cannonball that, that did saint judy um i've done three movies with them i've been executive produced on two of them uh and uh this fourth project is called lillian it's a film that i'm going to direct um this is your first directing job yeah yeah, first. How directing. do you feel about that? I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I, I think uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to need some help on the technical side. The, in my experience, the best collaborations have always been with directors who trust the actor yeah. and, and trust that the actor will bring his or her best to the table. Mm. And that will always happen if the actor's given the room to do that. Uh, the best directors I've ever worked with are the ones who have started off the conversation by saying how do you like to do this mm. you know do you like do you like lots of notes do you like few notes do you like are you you know do you like lots of takes or do you like no takes here are the here are our parameters we can give you maybe two three takes tops we just don't have the time for that it, can you work with that you know as soon as, as soon as the director sets up a collaborative atmosphere an atmosphere where you feel that your opinion and your input can be of some use or at least will be taken seriously, or where you feel safe in yeah in, in being you in giving that giving yep. that input, then I think you've got a recipe for you know a good happy working environment. What about your uh, you know you in your career you've played so many different characters and you've you've really embraced the idea of just taking on anything new and different. You ever thought about being like the the lead romantic uh, role on a film? I think I've left it a bit late for uh, that. Film. Well, I'm just I think I'm 66. I don't. But, I don't but you're think like a many maturing wine. Uh, yeah. Am I? Oh, yeah, that's very kind of you. I, I haven't not quite turned to vinegar yet. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I think I think there's a certain uh, you you've got to you've got to be sensible as, as you get older in in as an actor. You've got to be sensible about what's going to be available to you. Right. You know. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not waiting. For someone to kind of set, to send me some fabulous romantic comedy, but is it something you that know? you you want? Because you you really seem to have embraced the idea that this is where you're best suited. You're best suited at transforming yourself. And I'm you, a character actor. Yeah, that's what I am. I'm, I'm a character actor. You know, I I, I I I play the second or third lead, and that's fine with me, because with that comes a freedom. Yes and a range of roles that you can play. Uh, you can be a bad guy, you can be the funny guy, you can be the silly guy, you can be the grumpy neighbor, you can be the, the, the sweet granddad, whatever it is, you, you can play a whole range of roles. And it doesn't matter about the size of the part. You know, if you've got one scene or yeah. you're in every scene, it doesn't matter if, if the writing's good, if the story's good, if it's a character you can live with and inhabit and feel good about, then your, your quid's in. Do you like to be scared when when something's offered to you and you? you, you and yeah, sometimes. You... Sometimes I'm not as I'm not as fearless as I encourage other actors to be. Right. You know, I talk a great game. When, you know, with 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 young actors, I'll say, you know, you've got to be fearless. 
Yeah. You know, if if it scares you, that's good. That's mm-hmm. a good. That's a good feeling. You know, you'll be on top. You'll you'll be on your toes. But I find myself kind of every now and again, I kind of go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I said I, I had a conversation with uh, Kelly Cal, um, who uh, I've partnered on a couple of films as an executive producer, and, and uh, Kelly and I get on because we have a very similar kind of view about these things. You know, it, it's more to do with a practical approach to the craft of what we do. And, you know, I, I, I said, I've reached a point now where no one's going to pay good money to see me doing all the running and jumping. <laughs> but they might pay good money to see me doing all the pointing and shouting. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so you've got some young, got some great young actor, you know, who does the running, jumps in, jumps out of the car, does his own stunts, you know, and then, and I'll be the guy behind the desk kind of going, get out there and get that guy. <laughs> I'm that guy, you know, yeah. or on the phone, you know, we're on, do it. Boom, put the phone down. Or I'm behind a big desk and I'll say, 30 years, no parole. You know, I'll be that guy. Let's imagine you had all the money in the world. You had a financier who would fund anything that you wanted to do. He'd let you be the director, executive producer, creative choice maker. What, what, what stories resonate with you and you think, oh, I'd love to go. Immigrant s- stories. Immigrant stories. Stories about, stories about the courage and the daring and the fearlessness and the recklessness that it takes to leave everything you know, everyone you know, and to try and create a life in a place where you have no connection and where the only thing that's pulling you there is either some kind of salvation, be it political, cultural, moral, economic, you know, you maybe you're maybe you're making this journey because your life's in danger. Mm. Maybe you're making this journey to save your children from a fate worse than death. Maybe you're just trying to make a better life for yourself. Those stories are, to me, are the are at the root of every kind of human experience. The moment when we decide to go from A to B in whatever context. The moment we decide to release ourselves from those chains, those connections, those, ba- those, those bonds that keep us somewhere. That, that journey is, I find, deeply moving and, and, and so, so human. And so powerful. Well, Alfred, we, uh, we, we end the chat with a couple of questions. I don't know if you know this. No, what? Uh, not that we haven't been having questions for the last <laughs> hour or so, but um, the same questions. And the, the first question is, if, if you could take a road trip across America and you were going to, let's say you were going to drive to New York right now and you could take anybody in the car, three people in the car with you from here to New York driving from any time in history. Oh, wow. Who would you take with you in the car? On the road trip? Yeah. Whoa. And you don't have to drive, by the way. You could have somebody else drive. From any time? Any time in history. We've had very interesting carfuls. I'd, I'd, William Shakespeare. Wow. Nobody has ever said that. William Shakespeare. Yeah. Because I'd love to know all about what theater was like in his day. 
I'd love, and I, and I know what my first question would be. What would it? Would be, what was the very first performance of Hamlet like? What happened? The very first time Hamlet was ever performed. Ever. Were you nervous? Yeah. <laughs> Did you think it was going to go down yeah. well? Yeah. Uh, William, definitely William Shakespeare. Great. Uh, Jimi Hendrix. Wow. Jimmy, uh, yep. bring your guitar. Yeah. Uh, Bill, bring a quill. Who else? One more person. Can I be really cheesy? Yeah. I think the other person would be Meryl Streep. Because I'd love to. I just love to. I'd love to know how she does it. Is she, in your opinion, the most extraordinary oh. actor on the planet? Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt, male or female, without a doubt. In in the history of of filmmaking, certainly in the history of filmmaking. I mean, you look at you 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 you. She's one of those actors. Well, she's unique actually because there isn't anyone like her. Because you look at her work, you look at her body of work. Talk about range. I mean, she makes the rest of us look like we're kind of just, you know, dilettantes. I mean, she she's taken herself to places and taken us to places, you know, in her work. Where And you look at all the way through her life, all the way through her career, you know, from a young actress right to what she's doing on, on HBO now with her series. I mean, there's a, there's a life, you, you can, you can almost learn how to be, if you looked at all her movies from the beginning right to the end, it's as if you can learn how to be a human being just from watching those looking films. at her work. That's an interesting, that's going to be an interesting ride. Who's driving out of the four of you, by the way? Oh, I can't have imagined I'd be driving. Well, I wouldn't let William Shakespeare drive because... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure I'd let Jimmy drive. <laughs> uh, no, I wouldn't let him drive either. So it's between you and Meryl, so yeah, I think. Yeah, well, I, whatever she wants to do, whatever Miss Streep wants to do yes, is fine she's in me. charge. Yeah, totally in charge. And right. I'm in the back. With Jimmy. With Jimmy. And he's sort of Smoking just... a joint. <laughs> <laughs> and just every now and again kind of I wonder if goes, William would wow. take it. I wonder if you offered him a toke if he'd... William uh, Shakespeare. No, well, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure. If, uh, uh, you know, he <laughs> might say something like, you know, forsooth, is this like tobacco? <laughs> <laughs> Take uh, then thy joint and smoke it <laughs> and toke it. <laughs> uh, and then your last day on earth. Oh, I would gather all my family mm -hmm. and all my friends all the people that I love and who hopefully love me, I'd gather them all together around a big table and we'd have a big fuck-off spaghetti dinner. Big fuck-off spaghetti dinner. Yeah. And we would just eat and talk and tell jokes and stories and have lots of wine. And then at some point, I would just make my excuses and drift away yeah carry on yeah you guys carry on carry on with the good work i'll uh, i'll be back in a i'll be back in a few i'll see you in a few well i know we're going to see you in a lot more movies and i'm excited to see what you're going to do with being a director when when do we expect that how long well, we're looking forward to, uh, i think we're hoping to start shooting uh, in the fall awesome so really appreciate your time thank you phil I, this is this yeah. is great fun yeah is really fun. good scott were we rolling were we 
Okay, good. Yeah. You'll, be, you'll be able to dig the bones out of that. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To see more great interviews, go to philcogan.com and subscribe to Bucket with Phil Cogan wherever you get your podcasts. Please consider rating and reviewing us. And follow Bucket, that's Bucket with an I-T, on Instagram and Facebook. Also, follow me on Twitter, at Phil Cogan. Today's podcast proudly brought to you by Bucket Nutrition. Great-tasting, high-performance nutrition to power your adventure. Don't forget to go to Amazon.com, search for Bucket Nutrition, and use promo code BUCKET10, that's Bucket with an I-T, and you'll get a 10% discount on all Bucket Nutritional products. Just wait until you try the Bucket Booster with Manuka Honey. Thank you.